Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 59. In this episode, we are talking about The Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Rich. Hello there. So, we have science fiction to cover today. Yeah, pretty literary science fiction, I'd say, by sci-fi standards, but... Um... Yes. Yeah, it's super, super interesting. This is um, a reread for me of a book that I really enjoyed the first time around, so I'm super keen to hear what your impression was. Oh, I have I have tons. Um, <laughs> so first things first, a little bit about the uh, about the writer. Uh, he is uh, he was born in the Netherlands, um, but he is a British national now. Um, he's written seven novels. Um, his latest one being D, A Tale of Two Worlds, uh, which was published in 2020. He's written short stories, poetry collections, nonfiction stuff. He has done journalism, book reviews. Uh, he's all over the place. Um, caught my attention. He wrote uh, a poetry collection about his wife's um, battle with cancer. She, I guess, died in... I think it was 2014 uh so we published a collection a few years later called undying so i might try to to find that also it kind of sounds like might be up christina's alley oh yeah definitely i didn't i didn't know that actually yeah that's certainly um her kind of thing and uh he he did a couple of fantastic books one that was turned into a film called um is it inside the skin something like that yeah I think that... um and he's done another book called the crimson and the white and that is uh, i think that was made into a bbc like tv series which i've never watched but the book itself okay. is fantastic really good um he is i would say he's quite a comedian writer you know yeah um switches between genres pretty well yeah clearly i mean he's He's yeah been all over the place. Um, they also made uh, well like I guess Amazon did this like like pilot series thing. Yes, and yes, so they did. tried to turn this into, or they did turn it into a pilot. Um, I don't have access to Amazon anymore, so I couldn't I couldn't see anything other than the trailer. If you did, you watch it? I really enjoyed the book, so I thought, fuck this, I don't want to watch this terrible or potentially terrible TV adaptation. Um, yeah. And then it didn't get picked up for a series, so I thought, well, I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Um, the The reason I stumbled across that was I I was curious if anybody had done any, like, fan art or anything uh, for what the, like, Aliens, the Oasins looked like. One of and... the reasons I didn't watch it is because I didn't want to see... I mean, he describes them as two fetuses squished together, their faces. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I really want to see... Oh, well, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. I needed to see it, and I couldn't. I couldn't find it. So I don't know if they even show them in the in the pilot or what. But yeah, no clue. Ho- homework for another day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So we're gonna. We've already sort of started talking about the book, but uh, we're gonna get into our discussion about uh, about this very thick book. Um, and then at the end of the episode, same as always, we'll decide whether we're going to donate it, keep it. And if we keep it, which shelf we're going to throw it on. So where to start with this epic, epic book? Um, I, okay. First question for you. If you had the choice to leave your wife and go do like, yeah, horticulture stuff in space. Yeah. Would you go? Uh, as a huge space aficionado, I would be up there quicker than you could say, think about the consequences of what you're doing. Um, <laughs> I No, I would definitely go, because I, I think it's fascinating. Um, however, you know, if I think about it really, no, I probably wouldn't. I think that um, the book looks at Peter leaving Beatrice, yeah. and... You know, why don't they choose her, I think, is like a, a subtle kind of thing ticking along in the background in the letters and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I kind of know what you're saying. The Why has he left her? Um, yeah. And it's because Peter's a bit of a twat, isn't it? He is a terrible, terrible person. What What's so fascinating in this reread for me is that, first of all, when I first read this book, I 
genuinely, I do not remember thinking that Peter was a bad person. Really? I didn't, I, you know, I think I thought he was like a complex character, but beyond that, I don't think he was a, like a bad person in the kind of boundaries of the novel. But reading it yeah. again, I just got this real sense of what a piece of shit Peter is constantly. <laughs> and how he uses his Christian nature background beliefs to kind of act like a piece of shit constantly. He's quite yeah. racist. Yeah. He's a little bit... He's Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff going on that... um. Yeah, what did you think? I mean, how did it how did it come across to yourself the first time meeting him? Yeah, I th- so I came to this book, and we'll go down the the religion rabbit hole very deep. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure <laughs> later in the episode because I because I desperately want to. Um, but just in context of like him as a character, um, just his sort of like emotional like like ineptitude like he was just a wet blanket at the beginning of the at the beginning of the book like the the whole sex scene um just reeked of this like sort of like christian like uh, like yeah chastity like kind of thing and yeah like there was a, there was a point in my life where i knew people like that maybe i i sort of was a person like that and i just from that moment where they were in the car and he was just all like Oh, this is my fault that you know whatever, whatever, and it was just, ugh, ugh, like you're just you're a wet blanket, uh, and then yeah, it just it just got worse for me <laughs> from there. <laughs> Everything about that scene, the the way that he kind of takes what should have been, you know, it's her kind of grabbing a final moment of physicality with her partner before he essentially disappears for however long. Yeah. And he just turns it into a hair shirt for him to wear, to bang on about about how he feels and you know he's disappointed her and et cetera et cetera. And then it obviously leads to the kid um, and the pregnancy. I think yeah, like that is a summary of Peter in a in a nutshell. There, like he is unable to give Beatrice what she needs. It's nothing to do with him coming early. It's to do with her yeah. desperately wanting this like emotional connection, and he's like, "Oh, I can't quite give you that." And then, oh man, when she's writing the letters, I think the letters are yeah. like a beautiful narrative device within the book to kind of. I would argue that was the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> I think they they provide like such an amazing view of where he's at and where she's at, and. Yeah, it's interesting you say that they're the whole book because I think that perhaps the whole, the entirety of the book is actually like a love story between the two of them. Yeah, and yeah. the the letters really hammer that home. And God, alive you feel for Beatrice, don't you? Just the oh yeah, the things happening to her and in her life and how it's all panning out. And he's, I don't know, he's just fucking worst. <laughs> He's he's inept. Like all she wants is just like detail, right? Like she she wants, you know, to to see what he's seeing, to know like what he's what he's experiencing, and he like withholds all of that, or, or like I don't even know. Like I don't know if he's not capable of communicating. It it certainly isn't his priority to communicate. Definitely. Um, but to receive communication is is essential to him as a character, but. Yeah, I mean there there are all these like fascinating things that are happening to him that he's that he's seeing from the terrain, the weather, the the people themselves and he just fails spectacularly to like bring her into any of that. So many times in the book when we're seeing things from his point of view, we hear him saying oh Beatrice would have been better being here. You know, or she would have yeah. given me advice, or she would have guided me a particular way, and he never takes the initiative to contact her and give her enough information that she can kind of do that for him. Right. Um, which again, it, like that, really that drives me insane in the book. Um, his his kind of inability to move forward, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost 
as though like so he's he's a recovered you know drug addict alcohol like alcoholic whatever and so he he has this this dependency on her now and on his religious beliefs um and he just yeah sort of shuts her out completely even though it's clear that she covered up a lot of his um insecurity and ineptitude and like he doesn't connect with anybody in in the book in like a meaningful way right like absolutely yeah. all the people at the base his his wife even uh even the jesus lovers like he understands a few of them by the end but he doesn't have like really a deep connection until what is it jesus lover 5 at the end is is dying but even then like that felt superficial i think we see them quite early in the novel i think they're at the airport and they're working as a team uh-huh. to try and convert that young couple who have had their holiday delayed. Yep. And I think that, yeah. so we see that there's like this strength between the two of them, um, you know, that they can work as a team to do this stuff. So when they're separated from one another, because I, I also think it's in the text that in a way Beatrice is also reliant on him now. Yes. Like, And that kind of comes clear through her letters and you know as things start to fall apart um right she's not really on top of it i let let's i mean i am desperate to hear about your ideas about like the religious stuff in there because obviously we have very different religious backgrounds and uh ended up both being quite atheist but i think yeah fascinated to hear what you thought about it uh yeah, it's complicated. So I guess my yeah my religious background. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but if I haven't, um, it's it's worth repeating in an episode. Where we're going to talk about religion. So yeah, I grew up going to like a Lutheran church like my entire life. I went to Christian high school and uh, a Christian middle school for for a bit, and this was like a huge part of my life until I went to university. And I started meeting other people and I started traveling and doing all these things that living in, you know, sort of rural Wisconsin and uh, the, you know, deep red South Texas or North Texas, whatever, um, sort of ingrains on you that like Christianity is important. And yeah, so there was like this sort of slow fracturing of my of my beliefs um, throughout college. And then it was sort of this slow evolution um oh into sort of agnosticism and then eventually like atheism and that's yeah so that's kind of the the sort of brief um place that i'm coming from so i have a lot of like biblical knowledge and like we had to study all these things in in uh in classes that we took and you know i went to church every sunday and bible study and youth group and like all this stuff so it's just like i was indoctrinated you know as as a kid into this and now um being an adult and and believing what i believe or or don't believe um i i find it i just i found it really repulsive having to to read it if i'm honest because i it's it seems so farcical to me you know it's it's almost like um like like flat earthers right like we know that those are ridiculous stupid human beings and they're you know pushing a worldview or trying to push a worldview um that is just it's not beneficial to anything and so that like to me as i'm as i'm reading this book and i'm i'm thinking about like peter's mission um i'm repulsed that like the usic and and uh is is pushing you know christianity even though this is what the aliens want and all of this stuff uh you know it the colonialism that yeah is is under under the surface there as well i mean god we've ruined half the world with uh with the christian religion and and uh trying to to push beliefs on on other parts of the world and yeah so i i just i was repulsed just reading like the bible verses and just thinking about peter's like 
mission for just at, at a base level. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the fascinating to hear because I think, uh, you know, my, my own religious background is quite different, but I, you know, my grandparents became born again Christians, my auntie too, my mum and dad are. I think they might say that they're religious, but we never really did anything religious. I went to a school <laughs> where on Wednesdays we used to go to church in the morning, but um, uh huh. T- you know, I think if anything, that did a really good job of making me never ever want to go to church. And I didn't, you know, I think I went to church with my grandparents maybe, but certainly not in any kind of. It wasn't like I was going every week, and and I one hundred percent thought that yeah, all of it was yeah. bullshit. So. <laughs> you know, a different journey, but the same kind of uh, end to it. I, I, I found the. I don't know how do we pronounce their name. O- Oasians, Oceans, Oasis, Oasis, Oasis. The Oasians. Anyway, I don't know. The Oasians. Yeah. I'm gonna say. Uh, they. Okay. Um, I found their desire to learn more about this thing really fascinating like i i found because they yeah. can be a little bit of a blank page kind of thing when we first meet them but i found their thirst yes. for it and i think the final kind of conclusion that they don't have the ability to heal mm-hmm. after they injure themselves throws right. so much relief on everything that's happened before it just puts it into sort of stark illumination um and yeah, I think it's sort of beautiful that if you were, if that was your life, like if you hurt yourself, you died basically, and then people came with medicines, and then people came with a book about someone who literally died and came back to life. Um, I think that would be yeah. like a genuine revelation. Um, what I, you know, I think that there's a ton of stuff that we could talk about with. Um, well, but before before you go on from that. I, I I have a I have a thought. I mean, isn't that the the entire like meaning of religion though? Like the the idea of of God in whatever aspect has always been used to explain things that humans couldn't explain through science or observation, yeah. right? The weather, the death, um it, it's to fill these um physical and emotional needs. Yeah, sure. Why does the right? sun come up? It comes and, up because and, it loves us. <laughs> precisely. So while their while their need for it was very much mm-hmm. physiological, it's at at its heart still the reason that belief exists today is that people need that sort of that filler for the things that they don't understand or can't quite grasp or be okay it's interesting because i I think that maybe for these guys it might be slightly different because you you meet this species these humans and first of all they're bringing you medicines that can kind of keep your people going longer and then they're like yeah well actually here's a story about a little guy called Jesus and how he came back from the dead i think you might be <laughs> more inclined to believe it I, I because they've obviously ticked along without the need for this for so long this is kind of this is right. what i was going to go into in that this okay it's obviously a metaphor in some part for um you know mm-hmm. the western introduction of christianity into however whichever continent whichever place you want to think about it going in and yeah being pick, pick your a horrible continent. horrible thing yeah. that happened um but there are some differences because here you know they're not giving smallpox blankets to the indians they're actually bringing medicines they right <laughs> they don't relocate the natives the natives the uh Oasians or whatever decide to yeah. relocate themselves because they don't want to be close to the base. So there, there are these like purposeful right. things that happen that I think show that they are the the situation isn't the same as what we might think of as the historical colonial situation. 
that this is different enough um, that you know yes. it, it's not A to B it's not just that they are looking for a reason why the sun comes up you know we also never find out what their cultural touchstones are we never find out they have a religion because they were the Jesus no. lovers and there's however many of them but at some point he's estimating that there's right. potentially thousands of people in this settlement and only a, few, a handful right. of them have uh, been building the church and decided to believe right and I mean so counterpoint to the to the colonial ties I, I think one it was clear at the end of the book that um, the whole purpose of this was as a, a place to sure. potentially resettle yeah, no, I'd agree with um, you know earth humans I guess they're just humans. Um, and then there's also exploitation going on because if, okay, so something like maybe a painkiller works, right? But something like an antibiotic may not work if they don't have an immune system, right? So the, the exchange of goods is not mutually beneficial mm. in that way. Not that, I'd, I don't know if USIC necessarily knows that at, at that point, that they don't have an immune system and the ability to to regenerate tissue or whatever it is but yeah so there i i think i think there is a case to be made also like in colonial america like native native americans did the same thing where they tried to to space out and they were sort of pushed out before um the government you know put them in certain places built reservations fought wars against them enslaved them so i think there yeah there is something there that's that, yeah it has scary ties okay so just to follow up on a kind of like this colonial point the, the other thing that i was really fascinated by in the book was uh peter's reinterpreting um and potentially like crassening of the bible mm -hmm. to make it more applicable to the the alien's mindset like how do you teach about jesus yeah. being a, a fisherman or whatever or his you know a fish in the loaves talk um when you're talking to people who don't know what fish are yep um i thought that was really really interesting um talking about him as a shepherd when they don't have sheep so i mean again those those things have been happening like that's that's what we do you know there's the king james version of the bible there's the uh, new american standard bible the new english bible the new international version the new king james version the new living translation i mean i could go on and on <laughs> with the versions of the bible that we have t we have taken and through like one an understanding of like just like language right historically um we've created these these new translations but then there there are also attempts um to integrate like more colloquial um like modern uh metaphors and language into things to make it more approachable i mean it's it's frankly not not anything that we haven't already done dozens and dozens of times throughout the last you know thousand years since yeah this has been put together <laughs> Yeah, and as we all know, it's, it's yeah the the last because we've only been alive for six thousand years, so <laughs> yeah, the book's been ticking along. Um, no, but it, you, you're right. I think that kind of thing. It, it, but it goes to show when he's stuck on some of the words that go that could be used to make things clearer. I just thought it was amazing to see this sort of crassening down to the bare bones, you know, in the same way where he's giving out these Bibles that have got, um, like, whatever it is, like, wool or thread through the side of it. And then he realises that the congregation that he has, they don't really value them. They call them something else, but they're still the book of strange new things. There's the Bible that right. he has. And then these photocopies, these facsimiles that do not have the same credibility as his book. Uh, which I thought was, you know, it's, it's a beautiful piece of writing. Yeah. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to hit on, which was about the reread for me. Okay, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Um, 
I suppose before I do this, there's one moment in this book which I think is truly, truly horrendous, and it stayed with me after I read the book the first time. Okay, I knew it was coming this time, and I still found it awful. And it's um, it's when the cat gets trodden on. Yes. Um. Now, what's super strange is in my memory of the book, I thought that that was the end of the book. I thought that she ah. trod on the cat. I actually thought she trod on the cat and broke the cat's back. Oh. And that was, like, the final letter that he got. Okay. But there is, like, another... There's a fair bit afterwards. Oh, yeah. And, obviously, what happens to the cat after she steps on it is so much fucking worse than what I remembered. Yeah. Um... Yeah, tell me, tell me about what you thought about it. Tell me about how you read that. Like, uh, well, first off, I'm not a cat person. Um, I thought that that Joshua was a self-absorbed asshole throughout the entire book, and I hated his uh, biblical you, name. You can just say cat. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was horrendous. Like, I mean, the, the, that's the sort of thing you hear like serial killers doing is you know when they're children, right? Is like torturing animals and um and yeah i think that anytime an animal is abused there's like it's just it's it's hard to stomach right there was a i I read something once about how uh we like as humans react um with more disgust when like animals are injured in like films than uh humans um because we view them as sort of like helpless in a in a sense so like yeah that's why i don't know if you've ever read uh where the red fern grows or anything like that no but christina has told me about how emotionally damaging it was for all american school children oh god yeah read that in fourth or fifth grade and it just yeah you can't you can't unknow those things um but we had watership down and in fact okay a a small factoid to back up your um your point about uh so in the in the uk uh, I believe the the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals was set up. Okay, you know, great. Uh, it took about a hundred years, give or take, for the Royal Society for the Protection of Children to be set up afterwards. Oh God, because Brits were like, yeah, we really like cats, but kids, maybe you know, how are we going to clean our chimneys? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, but so I I think for me like with with that specific thing in the book right um bay is it bay or it has to be bay right like is that how you read her name i would say when he's doing it in short i would say b okay as in beatrice beatrice see I, i thought about that later but then he at one point uh made a reference to his last name lee and so i thought yeah. bay lee was was kind of the the pun i don't know Anyway, um, B-Dog, um, she's telling all these stories about how, you know, all these things are happening to other people, right? And Peter, like, can't connect to any of these events, right? And yeah. that's, that's sort of, like, somewhat understandable, right? A volcano erupts, a, a tsunami, I forget what else they had. Well, they had the sort of breakdown of civil society and garbage collection and all that. Um, but it wasn't really until that specific moment with the cat that anything affected like their life together, like in a, in a very intimate way. And he still sort of reacted with this sort of, well, that's that's horrible that that happened, right? Yes. Like if yeah. my <laughs> if my pet were stepped on accidentally, okay, that's that's still I I, I would be mad at my partner for that, like just how could you be so careless or, you know, whatever. But then what happens after the cat being tortured and running away and all all of these things would be so emotionally like gut wrenching for me, especially yeah. being far from home where I couldn't do anything about it. And he just reacts with the same sort of indifference that he did with all these natural disasters. At least that's my recollection. What did, how did I you think feel that about the, that? The, the way that the book builds from those events is actually really interesting. So 
you have the initial event, which is the volcano. Um, you know, a lot yeah. of people die. Then you have the tsunami. You know, thousands, maybe even millions of people are dying. Yeah. But before the cat thing, you also have... Because those are like large-scale events. And I think, as you say, there might be some sympathy from a reader to be like, okay, you're pretty divorced from this reality. Like, right. this is... And, and and I think there's a sort of meta commentary on how Christians are like, oh, oh, isn't that a disaster? Thoughts, Thoughts and, and prayers. prayers. Um, <laughs> but then when it gets to the bit where uh, the guy who's running the church embezzles all the money and runs away. Yeah. You would assume that Peter would have a reaction to that too, because that's personal. That's yeah, the I church that, that saved yeah. him from his life as... Um, you know, well, well, say Beatrice has saved him, yeah. but the church has given him the structure to continue his work saving other people, uh, and he doesn't give a shit about that, and then he doesn't seem to really care about uh, Joshua, he doesn't yeah. seem to care about, you know, the pregnancy. That's no, happening. not at all. I mean, we haven't talked um, about that. He is divorced from reality, but I, I think that, you know, we talked about the, the letters as a narrative tool, and there's this idea of distance as like an alienating, alienating force, you know. Yeah. Um, the people who the uh, USIC have chosen to come here mm -hmm. are people who can be kind of divorced from reality. Right. And I actually think that Joshua's death, in some ways, is the thing that begins to propel Peter on his journey to come back. Right. Um, because again, in my initial memory I didn't remember him coming back the ending is so much more hopeful than I remembered yes. I remembered it being bleak yeah and it is not bleak it is a hopeful hopeful ending um you know he's gonna return he's planning to find Beatrice whether any of that happens it sounds as if everything's fucked but he's coming back to at least pay lip service to this idea that he's gonna help his wife yeah, his or, unborn child, or try, but it, but it is also like too little, too late, right? So that's he's a, that's the Christian way. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, you're right about that. So it's, I, I think for me, it, it again was like it was selfish because it happened like in his own time, right? He didn't want to hear about the disasters um in in all the letters right and then when when he decides when he divorces himself from um the idea that maybe there's there's not a god and beatrice did um and sort of it disowns him as well then at that point he's it's it's he has no other choice right if he's going to be if he's going to continue to to be the person that he has been, he's reached his sort of breaking point and he has to try to repair this. So he doesn't have another, another choice. And so I didn't even see it so much as an act of like empathy or, or sympathy or even concern. It was more now he's sort of lost everything. And so he has to go recoup that for himself. And yes, I, I, I also felt that the ending was somewhat hopeful, but I still saw Peter in such a negative light and as such a selfish person that I, it was sort of tinged with like, huh. yeah, but are you really going to be helpful? It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think what's the name of the preacher who's come before him, who he meets again, Kurtz, um, Kurtzberg. Kurtzberg, something like that. Something. I, I tried to remember it and write it down, and I wrote down Kurtzman, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him, call him Kurt. K-Dog. B-Dog and K-Dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that there's several things that happen. So talking about the other staff on the base, on, on the USIC. Yeah. You know, we said they're all kind of detached. Um, yes. Even when he delivers this stirring eulogy for one of the members who's died and actually has an effect on some of the people there, mm -hmm. they pretty soon afterwards, they say to him, like, no, I'm not actually interested in this. Right. But there are two other people on this, on the Oasis, the planet we meet, who are emotional, 
Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, Grange, Granger. Granger, yep. And the other one is K-Dog. Yeah. Um, and it's when both of those people have these emotional outbursts, again, I think that is like building the tension, pushing him towards this return to home because he's seeing, experiencing emotional things, whereas everyone else around him is emotionally neutral. They're void. They're they're not involved in that particular part of the human experience. Whereas Granger's going fucking mental. Bless her. She's got some crazy shit going on. Um, And, you know, the, the previous preacher who was there has also, you know, he has effectively lost his mind... Yeah, um, and is living in the the shell of the old, um, the old settlement of these well, so, native species. Um, no, so that hammered. wasn't that wasn't the the pastor though. The that was the the other guy. Uh, oh, that's the linguist, is it? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bollocks, the I've the, the pastor is the one that like dug his own grave. Yes, and yes, was, yes, was yes. in there. Uh, what's the, well, what's the linguist called then? Uh, starts with an L, maybe. I can't remember. Oh, the fact that they just use last names, obviously militaristic, mm-hmm. uh, in its in its utilization, but also made it really hard for me to remember a week removed from from this book what everyone was. I, I I think there's a lot of stuff in here that is um is the author fucking with sci-fi tropes. Okay. Um, you know, there's this mega corporation who've set up this base, and yeah, it's very militarized. Everyone's last names, all this kind of stuff. That is definitely him making fun of this particular type of military industrial sci fi like trope, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, all of that stuff about like the water costing 50 bucks and. You know, people being desperate for like a Coca Cola and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's that's him playing a little bit with um, the like eighties mega corp style dystopian sci fi. Yeah, and um, didn't they say at one point that Granger's bottle of whiskey was like six hundred and fifty whatever yeah. units of Earth money? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well done. Well done to appeal to our international yeah. audience. Right <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what it was. But I, I don't think I, I'm going to assume it's dollars because it is yeah. US, I see, isn't it? So. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's fair. Also, uh, weird tangent. Um, how long do you think it would take Elon Musk to, to do something like this if he could get a spaceship to Mars? Uh, I mean... I think it would take him roughly 10 years from whenever he's talking about doing it, which is Elon Musk's classic. When are you going to go to Mars? 10 years ago, he said 10 years. Today, he says about 10 years. You know, it's always 10 years in the future because 10 years is a manageable amount of time um, for people to be like, well, yeah, okay, that makes (laughs) sense. And because Elon Musk is just utterly full of shit, yeah, uh, he would be saying whatever. I I think like the idea that if humanity had, uh, you know, the planet is in in trouble. I was just saying to you before we started recording that the temperatures here are going up to thirty four tomorrow, yeah. which is unheard of for the area in which I live. And the UK's got a red warning. We're going up to above forty potentially, um, which has never happened before while we've been recording temperatures. So. Yeah, we are living on a planet that's, you know, having some pretty intense uh, fluctuations, um, and it is global warming and it is climate change. Uh, and the facts undeniably say that. But I think if there was a bailout, the idea that a large corporation would be the ones funding that is probably true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't see. A like worldwide global, um, what would you call it? Like treaty, all of us working together. Yeah, we can't even make the International difficult. Space Station, you know, work for very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I think that any organization set up to deal with this would be very UN-like. So, 
I'm sure yes. there would be some bland corporate entity talking about how great Oasis was. <laughs> yeah, so can we talk about the, the planet for a second? Because um, I think that this book lacked for me in a lot of um, in a lot of ways, like describing things. Okay. Um, and not always, but there, there were a few, a few points that I think were really clear. I think like the, the base descriptions were, were really clear. Um, I, you know, I thought like the music, um, being a recurring theme, like, yeah. um, when Peter was back at base, you know, really gave me a good mental picture of kind of what, what it was like to be there. But then, um, the, I really thought that the the description of sort of this my impression of sort of this vast sort of wasteland um and the the water and the air currents and the humidity was really beautiful yeah. um like i i just uh yeah like if i mean you've been to to central america so it's pretty humid there like you know when you're in a humid environment it just sort of soaks into your skin like yeah i felt that but like on steroids, I thought he did a fantastic job of describing like the atmosphere of this planet, the the way it's like slipping under the skin and stuff. Yeah, I, I think the sort of nondescriptness of the the planet's features and of the aliens is probably partially because we see it through Peter's eyes. Yeah, and Peter is a self-involved asshole. Yes. Um, you know, and even even through Peter's eyes, we do begin to see that although there are like several people wearing a purple robe, he's able to start seeing that the purples aren't the same purples. You know, right? Um, right. So I, I don't know. It it's it's an interesting plot point. I think you're absolutely right about the atmosphere. This kind of this feeling of it like brushing over your skin and like creeping under your clothes is very clear. It feels very visceral as he's writing yeah, about yeah. it. Um, and the blankness of the landscape as they're driving through it in their air conditioned units. And <laughs> um, yeah, again, I think some of that is kind of playing with tropes a little bit. Uh huh. Um, the, the USIC reminded me a lot of like, um, whatever the whatever the corporation is in like um in alien or Blade oh, Runner yeah. or something like that sure um you know you're landing on these other worlds but you're yeah you're running the aircon that kind of thing you're having a cheeky <laughs> ciggy um <laughs> it's yeah it's strange i i wonder if we're supposed to take something away from what we're trading off you know the the Uh world that we've come from is beautiful and lush and vast and our escape is to somewhere dull and gray and Mm -hmm. endlessly uninviting and we you know the people who get there are going to be surviving but they're not necessarily going to be living in the same way that we would on like this incredibly beautiful planet that we've been lucky enough to evolve on. Um, so I do think there's a sort of narrative point there that, and, and I wonder if that's why Peter ends up leaving because it's probably quite hard to feel that spiritual experience. Although he, he does certainly attempt to in a bland and uninspiring place. Yeah. I mean, any, yeah, he also just has the, the whole situation easy. I mean, uh, Beatrice makes the, the point uh, it, in one of her messages that it has to be like the most welcoming. Uh, uh, what's the word? Um, outreach. Yeah. Congregation, whatever we call yeah, it. Like, like, yeah. Like that, that anybody has, has ever experienced. Like they're just, there's no problems. They're willing to help build this, this building They're Yeah. They want more, 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 more. There's no resistance. They've, um, they've been taught English. They've already been taught that they're thirsty yeah. for biblical verse because someone has already been there and laid the groundwork, which I, again, I think is like a commentary on Peter's character in that he has never really had to do the hard yards. Right. 
so we we shit on Peter a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm not and, done. I got like a lot to say on him about. Okay, uh, well, I I would like to just throw in uh, one thing that I I think he he did do well, of which was recognizing, um, for lack of better words, like the like humanity or the worthiness of these settle or the, these aliens or the natives. I guess is the better word to use. Ryan, I don't know if you can um, hear me, but I've lost you. I can't hear you. Oh, bummer. I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Oh, no. You've gone choppy as fuck. No. Okay, let's see if it comes back. Maybe. 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 I can hear you, but you're still okay. like a weird... Weird. Let's give it a second and see what's happening. I need to... There's a bee in here with me. So I keep looking around frantically. I don't know how he got in here or oh, what he's doing. There you go. You're back. It's all kicked back in. Sorry about okay. that. That's okay. Did you hear my bee commentary? <laughs> There's a bee in there somewhere with you. <laughs> yeah. So if you see me looking around no, I, strangely. I, I enjoy seeing you look around like you're quietly freaking yeah. out. <laughs> it, no, it's fine. But I also realized a few weeks ago that I've never been stung by a bee. Um, so I don't know, I don't know what would happen. I mean, have you, what have you been stung by? I've only been stung by a wasp. I feel like the venom's probably not that different. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But also here, like, if you, if, if you have an allergic reaction, so they'll send a, an ambulance up the, the mountain. Yeah. But if you have an allergic reaction, they will send you by helicopter to the hospital in Interlochen, rad. which is like three thousand francs. Oh, okay, less rad. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to get stung by a bee because I don't want to end up on a helicopter. That's my thought process right Have now. Have you got an EpiPen kicking around the house? No, you should get one just in case. Yeah, yeah. You just never know. I have a shit ton of Benadryl, but it's the best I can do. That's the good stuff. Okay. Uh. So I was talking about Peter's. Yeah, sorry, you were saying about well, Peter's like good things. So maybe you yeah, start back out. Okay, so we have been shitting on on Peter this whole time, and because he's a bit of a cunt, I, I just, he is. But the one thing I think he he did really well was he he recognized like the the humanity um, or the like the worthiness of these people, right? Everybody calls the. At the base, they they call the settlement C two or Freak Town, right? It never occurs to them to, uh, to ask what the the name is or to to call it, you know, whatever the natives do, which I guess they just call it here. Um, but yeah, he seems to be the only one that sort of takes a genuine interest in sort of them as people, even going so far as like doing the farm work. So I, I do see a little bit of like his ability to recognize um yeah, that they need to be treated better as as equals, not just as sort of animals in a sense. Um and so I will I will give him that one little bit of praise <laughs> as a character. It, it's interesting because I read it differently, like and I wonder if it's our interpretations of Okay. Religion or what? But I, I see it as more of a um, like. Although you're correct, he's not treating them in the same way that the other people in the camp are, where they're calling them freaks and all that kind of stuff. But I do right, feel right. as if there's like an infantilizing of them, and not an, ah. a, like they obviously have their own complex systems. Um, and he does see that little tiny bit, but I think that yeah, the the reality of evangelizing to somebody is that you are infantilizing them a little bit. And I definitely felt that like imperialist colonialist mindset in Peter. Um, yeah. He's there to bring them to, you know, humanity's good word. Um, yeah. So yeah, two different ways of looking at it. I, that is that is a fair point. When I read this originally, I I read it with um, Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation at the same time, and the two are like inextricably okay. linked in my mind for some reason. Um, and I wonder if that's why I thought it had more of a dour ending, 
Um, I don't know if you've read Annihilation. Uh, no, I know of it. It's a good, you know, it's a good, it's a good series. The Southern Reach trilogy is a good little um, trilogy. It was made into a film on Netflix, I believe, with Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, so I think that you know, if you are going to read this, and hopefully you have, if you're listening to this podcast, I would suggest <laughs> that reading those two together, there is a similarity in the. I'm going to say the sort of sparseness of the writing. Like, the way that it's uh-huh. written, there's some connective tissue there. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, anything else from you on this bad boy? Um, I, I have some, yeah, just like, I guess, big generalizations um, before before we wrap it up. Um I I struggled a lot with the with the first part of this book. For me, things really started ticking like the last two hundred pages or so. Okay. Okay. Um, that's when that's when I I really became invested. And yeah, and then the ending and the the more rapid pace of communication between him and Beatrice at the end. Um, I think is what is what really like hooked me and I I found myself wondering like is there a second book to this um because that was I wasn't interested in in his preaching at all like I wasn't that none of that did anything for me um the like you said, the the writing was sparse, so even some of the the interaction, like among the base personnel, wasn't interesting. I was intrigued by this maybe like you know sexual relationship that was developing between him and Granger, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, his sort of yeah. So late in the book, when those things started developing, then I started wondering, okay, like this this is going to go somewhere and then you know it ends with with him leaving and so yeah i i wanted a lot more out of this book i think um by the end of it which which was really nice so i think that the the author uh, and spoilers ahead for um the crimson and the white uh, maybe skip forward a, uh-huh. a few seconds if you don't want to hear this now that book quite famously <laughs> at the very end of the book just cuts off um, no, the, the story is kind of it, we start here and we end here, and we get the sort of the middle part of the story that's already in motion, and when it ends, it just cuts off. Yeah, and I think we have a little element of that here to a lesser degree. It's not as harsh, um, uh-huh. but I think as a narrative technique, I, I, I love it. Like I think it's great because we get to read this story, as I say, that's already happening. It's in motion. The characters are set up, and then the story is continuing after we've spent our time with them. And I, right. like, just personally, and it is a very subjective thing, I find that I enjoy stories that do that. I'm not... When I was much younger, I loved a neatly tied up package. And yeah, now yeah. I like complications and flabbiness and things that don't go anywhere. Um so I felt again. I, I'm. I was a big fan of this book, and I was as big a fan, if not a bigger fan, on a second read. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I can kind of understand what you're saying about the slowness of the start, but I do think that that is, it's it's the building up of the tension, right? Like, yeah. When it hits that tipping point, I'm interested to know, was there a moment when you realized you would hit the tipping point? And if so, what was it? Um, uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't know if there was, if there was a single moment, maybe it was, maybe it was when he, when he took the car and just drove okay. off. Yeah. I think I think that for me cuz cuz then everything else kind of came to came to a head at that point like we figured out what happened to the the preacher after that uh 
yeah, Granger starts losing it. Like there's there's a lot of things that then really start to to boil at yeah, that point. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and the I think the the flurry of communication, the talk about moving to the country and stuff happens after that as well. I I really um, I do enjoy Beatrice's like what the fuck are you talking about response to that. Yeah, like, like you're which which is 100% the right response. <laughs> like he's just he's saying all this unhelpful shit. <laughs> like he's being a bad partner. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, it's just yeah. Okay. So I feel like we're we're flirting with uh with the end of the episode and and Let's we need to it. we need to make our we need to make our things known. So uh this was your choice. So you get to decide where you're going to okay. put this or I- I imagine it's been pretty clear from me saying how much I enjoyed it on a second read. This is this is top shelf for me. This is sticking around. Okay, I'm uh, I'm keeping this puppy uh, for a long, long time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think that um, in science fiction there are occasional books that touch on this kind of like religious element. Uh, there's another one called yeah. The Sparrow, which is fantastic. Um, by okay. this, her name's like Mary, something. Anyway, not important. Uh, but I think it's interesting territory. It's fertile ground to kind of write about. And I, as I say, I just think it's done really well here. I, I enjoyed the read. I love the fact that I found the protagonist to be an absolute asshole. I think that might be quite a difficult <laughs> thing for a lot of people to to deal with. But that's sure. Again, that's something that I really enjoy. Um, I love the fact that the story kind of started where it started and ended where it ended. And again, on a reread, uh, a much more positive story than I remembered. So I, yeah, definitely putting it on that high shelf. Okay. Um, yeah, so I I was flirting with, with a couple different things with, with this book. Um I think I think for me pacing was was a big problem, um, and I I agree with with everything that you said about uh, you know Peter as a as a protagonist. I think I think he does a fantastic job of of writing him just well enough that like you can't completely hate him. Um, you kind of root for him to do more than he he does, especially when it comes to just communicating with his wife. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this this book for me took too long to to get going to a point where I I really I really cared. And part of that is just yeah, again my repulsion of Christianity. <laughs> um and but I I think this I think this book is a good book. Uh I think it's worth keeping. Um I would I would recommend this to to people yeah, who want to read something um that's not just sort of like a uh, fast science fiction. So for me, it's, it's a middle of the shelf, um, solid book. Um, I don't know if I'll read, I'll read it again. Um, but I would hang on to it for sure. Hey, not bad. A little bit of a recovery. Are you happy about that? <laughs> you know, we're creeping it back, baby. We're yeah. creeping it back. It's no foundation. Yeah. Eh? Um, yeah. So, um, we, have two books slated for next episodes um the next episode is going to be about hp lovecraft's at the mountain of madness um so we're going to get a little weird and then after that you want to announce this one this was yes this was we're, we're going to get potentially a little bit weird but in a slightly different way uh which is with uh, the <laughs> over story by richard powers um Pulitzer Prize winner uh, for fiction in 2019. Uh, so we're being very timely, obviously. Yes, <laughs> extraordinarily. Uh, but yeah, should be a good read. <laughs> yeah, this is one a ton of a ton of awards. It has been on my to be read pile for same, same. a long, long, long time. I have a few work colleagues that have read it and really enjoyed it. Uh, there's yeah, a lot of like tree stuff in Which here. I'm excited um, about. And our one of Yeah, uh the science teacher um uh who teaches here did ecology and forestry this this last year really enjoyed this book. So, so I'm excited. Did. 
like it'll be good and I'm obviously very Lovecraft is a massive uh, anti-Semite and racist so uh, yeah that'll, so that'll we'll be good to, to look forward there. to wouldn't it yeah. <laughs> wonderful yeah alright well that wraps up this episode next episode is at the Mountain of Madness and the one after will be the Overstory thank you for listening and until next time take care